0: everybody welcome to the whatever floats your boat podcast billy and sierra here from tula's endless summer
1: and where are we
0: we are currently in jupiter florida we just arrived back from a long offshore sail which is actually what we're talking about today
1: and we're at your parents house right now because um, we're doing some work on the boat and Yeah, we are enjoying the comfortable air conditioning for a few days. and
0: Hot showers and big beds, so we are very grateful to them. Thank you, Mom and Dad.
1: All right, so we recently just sailed all the way from the U.S. Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, or I guess we're more by St. John, all the way back to Florida. And it went a little bit different than we had planned. And we're going to talk all about it, starting with the prep and, uh, I don't know, you...
0: And what kind of we did to get ready. So the sail was 1,200 miles and it was supposed to take between seven and nine days. With a six knot average, it would have taken eight and a half, but that did not happen. Um, But before we talk about that, yeah, let's talk about how we prepared to get ready to do 1,200 miles offshore.
1: Okay. Well, the first thing we did, (laughs) get right into it, I guess. First thing we did was uh, we just checked out the boat. We, Sierra hoisted me, up. well, I climbed our mast steps, but you, I always have a safety line that you have on a winch, and uh, yeah, I went up the rig, and I checked out all our standing rigging and connections and mast and um, everything like that. Also, take a peek at the running rigging and the sheaves and, and everything, um, and then just around the whole boat, our, did all our engine maintenance and uh, topped off the fluids, um made sure all our bilge pumps were working um what else do we do
0: um i made sure our tracker was working so we use a garmin in reach and that enables our family to be able to track us we can message back and forth and it also gives us the sos capability and um this year we actually signed up to do the salty dog rally so we had I think like thirty other boats with us, and the salty dog rally was amazing. They helped us with route planning they um actually signed us up with the subscription to chris Parker weather routing and we were able to get weather forecasts well offshore. What else did they do? they what, got...
1: what was the deal with the predict wind predict wind is is a software it's a weather routing software and and forecast software
0: yeah, so with um with the salty dogs they helped us set our tracking up so we could input our information to predict wind and that way our family and friends and our patrons as well could see us and not only us but every other boat that was with us so that was really cool gave them a little comfort knowing that we weren't the only boat out there but there were like 30 other boats with us. Um, So yeah, tracking, weather. Salty Dog also worked with um, Turks and Caicos as well as the Bahamas to get us exemptions in order to stop in their waters because during this whole pandemic, all of these quarantine um, anchoring laws are kind of out the window. You cannot anchor like you normally would be able to and fly your quarantine flag, you could actually get fined up to $10,000 if you entered their water.
1: So let's just explain that for people who aren't too familiar. Normally when you are not checked into a country, like say for example we're coming from Florida and we're going through the Bahamas to get we're going the opposite way to get down the Virgin Islands or, or something, for example. You could sail through those waters. You can even stop in those waters and anchor and just fly your yellow flag, your your Q flag, letting any authorities know if they pass by that you're not checked in and you're staying on the boat. And as long as you stay in the boat, don't get off the boat, then you're fine to do that. Um, now apparently and I don't know like how how this law works or but apparently the bahamas for and most countries forbid that type of thing you're not allowed to even go through their territorial waters during this pandemic so yeah salty dog got us exemptions you were able to apply to the bahamian government and the turks and Caicos goes government to get exemptions to be able to go through their waters and even stop and then some people were even able to stop at approved marinas to get fuel um, and they kind of took care of all that, which was amazing. We didn't need fuel or anything, but we got exemptions to be able to stop um, be, to wait out some weather that was around us.
0: Which is awesome. So if you're ever doing a rally, I think Salty Dog uh, does a rally from the Chesapeake down to the Virgin Islands every, every year. And if you're ever interested in doing that, I would highly suggest using them. Um, what else can we talk about? So another thing we did to prep, we made all of our food um before we left because i know when i get over a hot stove i get seasick so i made sure i did all of that cooking before i made um, enchiladas meatloaf soup pasta rice and beans hard boiled eggs all this stuff so it'd be easier when we're out there all we have to do is either like put in the oven or put it on the stove and i can walk away there's no need for me to like sit there and and cook everything
1: and that was yeah i think that was really we haven't really done too much of that before in the past but that was really good to do anything that you can do just to make life easier underway uh, anything you can do before you set sail is uh, definitely a good thing to do like even just cleaning and organizing the boat so things are neat and organized you know where they are um they're handy if you need to grab them and things aren't in your way like that just makes it easier underway as well but what you did with the food prep and everything made things so much easier and we eat a lot less underway especially the first few days so we we i mean that food that we prepped lasted a long time
0: yeah exactly and then uh something we did a little different this trip was our watch schedule we normally do three hours on and three hours off and
1: and we should say our longest sales that we've done, our longest sale was only four days and three nights, I think. Yeah. And we've done multiple overnights and like two two nights, three days, and then four days and three nights. But yeah, this was the longest one that we, you know, were planning on going, which is seven to nine days. And yeah, three hours on, three hours off is our normal watch schedule.
0: But this time, um, who recommended this? I don't even remember. Um,
1: I've heard it a few places. I think I suggested it because I heard it on, like, I know Matt Rutherford talked about on his podcast, and some other people had suggested it in our comments of our other videos, just doing longer watch. Um,
0: Okay, so yeah, so this time we did five hours on and five hours off, and I think it worked really well. The only time we didn't do this was the very last night and we'll kind of get into that uh reason why but yeah
1: yeah but this watch schedule is so much better i think for than three hours on three hours off it was five hours was enough to get an actual like solid chunk of sleep and and then once you get into your next five hour off shift between those two off shifts you get a full you know eight to ten hours of sleep if you can sleep that whole time which is amazing and then you're caught up on sleep for that whole 24 hour period and Yeah, it was just a good amount of time to catch up on rest. And uh, the other thing that we had in our favor with that is that you're more of a morning person, and I'm definitely more of a night person. So to start off the trip, I just watch. I kept my watch until two a.m. or something, and then you took over from there. It wasn't it wasn't hard for me to stay awake until you know one a.m. and then you only have an hour to go, and then. Your beginning of your shift is probably pretty tough, but, I mean, you're more of a morning person anyway, so it's probably a little bit easier than you trying to stay up late at night. You got a good amount of rest um, before you got on watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, for me, in order to stay awake, I normally listen to music or listen to audiobooks, and this time I downloaded some podcasts, and I listened to the podcasts the whole time. I listened to, um, what was it, Dirty John, Serial, and one of my other favorite ones is Amy Brown, her Four Things podcast from The Bobby Bones Show. I can't watch movies while I'm on watch because just looking at the screen gives me a headache. But you watch movies most of the time, right? Yeah,
1: and I I hate to say that, like you definitely should, you know. It, it's nice sometimes to not listen to podcasts, not watch movies, just sit out there and enjoy, you know, sailing at night. Um, and that's awesome. Um, but sometimes it is nice to be able to put your headphones in and and listen to some books or podcasts or watch a movie and yeah i can if i'm not too rough i can watch a movie and kind of keep watch at the same time when you're keeping watch you're you're just looking at the compass looking at the gps and then just looking around and sure, making sure you don't see any ship lights around um that's basically it and then i mean i guess you're looking at a sail sail trim as well especially if uh you see your speed change or direction course change so
0: so yeah it's, I, not,
1: it's not like you, i'm just saying it's not like you're driving a car and you have to be 100% tentative like 100% of the time
0: yeah <laughs> so another part of prepping was downloading um those podcasts and movies and music and everything <laughs> so we had it while we were offshore and didn't have internet um, another thing we did we made a float plan and that is for our families it has our e-perb information our tracking links our boat description um, what else is on there? The the timing that we think we should be back by, and if they don't hear from us within a certain time, they need to contact a certain number with the Coast Guard, and just all that very, very important information, so we always make sure to update that any we leave. Right. Um, and then, let's talk about buddy boating for a little bit. A lot of people buddy boat, and honestly... So buddy
1: boat is just when you're pretty much, you're just traveling with another boat. You guys are together, you leave the same place around the same time, and... You are going to your next port of call together.
0: Yeah, and we normally don't buddy boat, but honestly, being a part of the salty dog flotilla was pretty much being a buddy boat with multiple other people. Um, but the reason we normally don't buddy boat is because our engines are thirty years old. They're well, not. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, yeah, but these are these are my main reasons. Um, and we sail fast if there's a lot of wind. So when there is wind we need to take advantage of it and we need to move and when there's no wind like 90 percent of the people would probably pass us because we're not going to turn those engines on in Florida. we're just going to kind of wait for the wind
1: right if it's relatively if it's not too rough we're going to sail at just three knots and just kind of drift along which is perfectly fine we don't want the stress of of, of people waiting on us and trying to stay in vi- visual uh distance of us and
0: yeah or and us it. of
1: them when yeah. we're going quickly
0: exactly because we need to take advantage of what we have and then just kind of deal with it when we don't
1: and another reason I don't generally like buddy but bo- like we never we have never committed to buddy boating we it's kind of a thing we just we just don't do it um and one of the other reasons is that I like to make our decisions independently I don't want I don't want to be attached to anybody else when i'm making or we are making our own decisions um a lot of times you know because you're buddy boating with someone you might be pulled into not the best um decision or a bad dis- decision just because you're kind of attached to that buddy boat um Now we, with the Salty Dog Rally, and then we were with our friends most of the time, it was pretty much buddy boating, but just unofficially. Like I never would have felt, and we did make some independent decisions, and we didn't feel like we had to be um, uh, attached to Ohana was the boat that we were pretty much buddy boating with, but not really.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so they, our good friends, Tim and Candy, they were with us. Um, The majority of the time, we were kind of headed in the same direction, and we each had our own in-reach, so we were able to talk to each other back and forth, and every time we sent a message, we could check each other's location. So I think there was only one day where we could see each other, um, but the rest of the time we knew exactly where they, they were, and that made me feel extremely safe because um, the tracking information we told you about earlier, our family and friends could see where everybody else was, but we don't have internet out there, so we couldn't see how close the other boats were. But we could see Tim and Candy because we were messaging them. Right. Um, and we were able to give tricks, tips and tricks like, Hey, we just went through school fish, like get your lines out or they would tell us. And, um, just little things like that where it made me feel a lot safer and I just can't thank them enough for hanging out with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some good to buddy boating as well. And yeah, those are a lot of the things
0: and if you a lot of people buddy boat and if you're not in a situation like us i would totally recommend it and, it is a and, safety factor you have someone with you in case something goes wrong
1: i think one of the other reasons that we generally don't is just we're generally pretty independent we like just to be on our own and do things ourselves. Um, yeah
0: and if you're not at that level i would highly 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 suggest grabbing a buddy boat going along yeah um, i might i would say
1: <laughs> you know it's up to you but there's some good and bad and yeah yeah
0: um, okay, so let's get into our sail. So like we said before, we left the um, USVI's, we specifically left from Lavongo Key, and we were headed to Lake Worth Inlet. Um, our first five days... And,
1: and we were taking the southern route around the Bahamas, so we were going south of all the Bahamian waters, uh, north of Puerto Rico, north of Dominican Republic, south of the Bahamas, and then up into the Gulf Stream along the west side, west side of the Bahamas. Yeah, um, so that
0: goes through the Old Bahama Bank and... Old
1: Bahama uh Old Bahama Channel, Channel. yeah. And the Santarin Channel or Santorin Channel.
0: Exactly, and then across the Gulf Stream.
1: And you could do it differently. You could go a, a bit more north in the beginning, and then you could go... You could stay east of Turks and Caicos, and then... go go north and east of Turks and Caicos, and then cut through the Bahamas um, in the Northwest Providence Channel, I think it's called, and then go head straight west to Florida. That's just another route you could take to get to pretty much the same spot.
0: But again, this year was kind of funky, so if you were doing that, the Salty Dogs really came into play because they were able to get you the exemption to take that route.
1: Right, yeah, because you're going through Bahamian territorial waters. The reason we took the route we did, I think... I think the one of the biggest reasons is that you catch a good amount of current uh, taking the route we did. You catch some current north of the DR and into the Old Bahama Channel. You get like one one knot or maybe of current. And then once you get in the Gulf Stream, you have a good amount of Gulf Stream bringing you from south to north. Um, and you gain, you know, you could gain two or three knots in there um, a lot of the time.
0: And the majority of the time you're directly like in the trade wind, So you have more predictable Yeah, you're still winds. pretty
1: far south in the trade winds, Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, our first five days were literally perfect sailing. Was um, it a
1: full five days, those first yeah, days? Yeah.
0: We, we left on the 4th, and we got, which was a Monday. And we got to um, Great Inagua evening on the Friday. So, Monday through Friday.
1: So, let's... I want to talk about... All right. Generally, we may have not have left when we did if we weren't going with the rally. Because it was pretty light wind and it was forecasted to be pretty light um now we don't have a spinnaker we have a big huge symmetrical spinnaker that ripped the last time we used it so we didn't have a spinnaker and my biggest concern is in light downwind sailing conditions is just keeping the sails full and and then the angles and managing you know what side the sails are on and keeping them full and, yeah, not jibing.
0: But it did, like, we were sus- supposed to have pretty light wind that first day, but it went way better than I thought it was yeah, going to. Yeah, I do
1: too. And it, well, the other challenge with light downwind conditions is if it's rough and you have light winds, just keeping the sails full is just, it, they just flop around. It's just such a pain. But honestly, it could not have gone any better because, yeah, the it was just enough wind to keep those sails full, which is just enough wind to keep us chugging along at Uh, four to six knots
0: yeah and that first day we had to um jibe um once i think
1: yeah yeah we were kind of balancing back and forth between uh you know broad reaching and then and then once you go deeper downwind than broad reaching you your uh head sail gets shadowed so then you're either wing on wing if you want to keep that head sail out or one set, or if you want to keep boat sails out, you got to go wing on wing if you're going dead downwind. Um, and that's pretty much what we did and we were kind of, we were just messing with those angles back and forth a bit for the first two days, really. Yeah,
0: but it couldn't have been any calmer no, um, it and was that flat. was an amazing it, first part to our trip because it wasn't like we were going out in rough conditions and like being sick. It was like first five days of perfect conditions and it's like, okay, we can do this. Um, right, It
1: was just, it was just enough wind to keep the sails full, like I said, just enough wind to keep the boat moving. And, yeah, even if we're only going four knots, it was super calm. So, there was, like, no need to try to turn the engines on and push it any faster than that, which was awesome.
0: Yeah, and we got, a, we had a lot of fish on. We actually had, um, let's see, what do we have? We had three huge yellowfin tuna Now, what day on. was that?
1: That wasn't the first day.
0: That, no, this is just a whole one through five altogether. I okay. think that was the fourth or fifth day. Yeah. And oh man that was we've never caught a yellowfin tuna so that was extremely exciting there was a whole school of birds our i we had two lines out i put a third line in super quick i I
1: was off watching you were asleep
0: yeah and then as soon as I put that third line in, we went right under the school of birds. Everything just went... Zzzz, all three like, lines. All at the same time. And I you just,
1: start screaming and, scream and I woke for up. for Billy
0: to get up. Jenny was like, what the heck's going on? And then um, we lost two of them pretty quickly. They just snapped the lines. I think we had like 40 pound test on them and it just wasn't strong enough. And then our third line, you were on that one. Yeah,
1: and this one is always... It's always the weakest... The weakest pole. We have this pole with the old spinning reel on it, and the spinning reel, I loaded it up with like, it's like 60 or 80 pound test mono, and uh, just because the drag doesn't work, and I knew that drag didn't work, but anyway, that's the one that I was able to get the fish all the way up to the back of the boat, and it was fighting it, and I was trying to be real careful not to put too much pressure on it, because there was no drag on the reel, and I got all the way to the back of the boat and you were just about to gaff yeah, it. Yeah,
0: like I it was so close. To, we I was so close to gaffing it and, and it then it just all of antenna. a sudden it just took off and as soon as it took off that line but Yeah, again. I
1: tried to absorb it and like let him go like just by bending the pole down but it yeah, it there took no off way. with power and it just snapped that line. So um, that was
0: definitely the biggest fish we've ever had on that close to the boat especially, but it was really cool to see. We got it so close where we saw our potential dinner, but it swam off to live another day um that same day we also caught mahi mahi a huge one it was yeah. nice beautiful fish it gave us a little show and uh billy reeled it in and i gaffed it jetty man's wheel
1: so and so this is kind of towards the end of that first five days so uh before this though we had one night of just pouring pouring rain no wind we motored all through that night And then there was one point also, I don't, you might have been asleep, I don't know if you noticed this, but we were north of the Dominican Republic about 20 miles, uh, that's where the best wind was at the time, uh, according to our, you know, Chris Parker weather forecast and stuff. And um, I remember it was at night, about 20 miles off the coast of the DR. You could just barely see some lights in the distance from the DR, like maybe just barely a glow. But it was so cool because I could smell like the, the burning sugar cane and the earthy smells of the dr and the, the wet like rainforesty smells it was really neat because the wind was kind of bl- coming from that direction it was like a southeast wind so just kind of barely coming off the land there so that was a memorable memorable part of the trip hmm, I must
0: have been sleeping. I yeah i think you we were
1: sleeping it was at night i was on night watch
0: yeah my most memorable was definitely the fish so yeah we caught the mahi-mahi and then we also had another um we went through another school of tuna this time blackfin tuna and I think we lost two and then we had another one on and did we
1: was that no we lost that was
0: another time you th- lost black thing? we lost yeah we lost definitely at least one um and i was reeling one in and i saw something on the surface so i was like oh like maybe another fish is like coming with it and nope it was a shark and there was tons of sharks on the surface under another whole like flock of birds and Um, I thought I was getting him in fast enough, and nope, we pulled in like half of the tuna, but still plenty to have sushi.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got bit in half by the shark, but yeah, the the head that we pulled in still had a good amount of meat on it, so we had some sushi that night.
0: Yeah, and that day we got a weather forecast from Chris Parker saying there's some nasty thunderstorms coming off Cuba, and they had some gnarly wind with them, so he advised...
1: Wasn't there another low-pressure system that was north of us in the Bahamas that we... We're trying to avoid. I as think well. so. Yeah,
0: there was like a couple things we were trying to avoid, but the closest one was that storm off Cuba. So he said, um "Divert, spend a night or two in uh whatever islands closest to you." We were closest to Great Anagua, and well, with we, that exemption, we were able to stop.
1: Yeah, well, and it wasn't whatever island closest to us because you couldn't stop in the DR or Cuba if you were no, in those areas. No, but we had the
0: option of Turks and Caicos or Great Anagua or re- the Ragged Islands. Right so great and was our stop we anchored our friends on ohana tim and candy were with us and we couldn't get off the boat that's part of the rules but um we were happy to be anchored and safe in our favorite waters in the world and we did um get off and go for a little snorkel so that was nice just have a nice night of like real sleep 12 hours (laughs) probably like 12 hours of sleep instead of five
1: it was a really cool anchorage it was uh yeah it was completely protected by this shallow reef on the outside and just big huge lagoon just beautiful beautiful spot we saw the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter that U.S. Coast Guard has a base on Great Anagua and we saw the helicopter go by once or twice and uh yeah just yeah we it was bittersweet too though because we couldn't get off the boat um we did jump in the water a bit but we couldn't we couldn't spear or anything we couldn't go to the beach so but it was still nice definitely better than not stopping there
0: yeah so um, the next day, I think this is the seventh day of our trip. We had the okay to leave from Chris Parker, like, okay, just um kind of slow and steady. There wasn't really any wind. We ended up motoring that whole day and all night.
1: no, we motored, yeah, we motored most of that day, but then we caught I think some
0: halfway through the night. we got some wind or something.
1: No, remember when we cleared Great nog well, we got just when we cleared the point, we had the perfect amount of wind to be cruising. We were going like six seven knots,
0: okay. In
1: um, flat, calm seas.
0: Yeah, and then I think it got extremely windy that morning, and we got another weather report. Still, the, the thunderstorms off Cuba were slow, they weren't moving as fast as they were supposed to be, and our alert from Chris Parker was, okay, if you're gonna go, you have to hold your speed at four and a half knots.
1: So and, slow down, basically, Yeah, what he was saying. and
0: with us, it was getting windier and windier, and our boat is not really that easy to slow down. And with that wind, we were going, I think like 9 to 11 knots that day, and you had, (laughs) I wasn't in agreement at the beginning, but you had the brilliant idea of, okay, if we're going to have to slow down, like that's a lot of managing the boat, or we could just divert again for a little bit, sail a couple more miles, but get to uh, the Ragged Islands and have another night of sleep. So I I was a little concerned with that because our friends weren't doing that, and I was like, oh, we're gonna leave leave our friends. And Billy's like, well, that's a better option for us. So we ended up doing that. And good on good call on your part. Because, yeah, because that was really good
1: because the wind was picking up, and yeah, like you said, it's you know it takes some work to be able to slow down, um, especially because like I said before, there's a one knot current through that area, and. And with that wind picking up, the seas were picking up as well. So I figured, you know, there's no point in trying to slow down and just staying out in uncomfortable seas. Might as well just divert. We'll get a good night's sleep, perfectly still. And then we'll also get some cell service to recheck a more detailed weather report um, and then just take it from there. And that's what we did. I'm really glad we did that. Um, And then we did get a weather report, which was clear. Again, it was kind of, yeah, it was it clear
0: um that that day let's see it was was
1: pretty much all clear to go and the weather report was pretty there was a low pressure system coming off of florida and like when we left the raggeds it was everything looked good but then just like maybe that evening we got another report that was saying it wasn't that good (laughs) saying
0: you guys are going to be in for some nasty weather um, and we did watch some crazy storms roll through. Like even when we were anchored in the Ragged Islands, I have a picture, and literally the sky is absolutely black. Right, and the and water's these, just so turquoise. Just
1: nasty thunderstorm squalls coming through.
0: And I think the day we left Great Inagua, you
1: or the Ragged Islands. I talking?
0: mean, yeah, the day we left the Ragged Islands, you hit a new record on our boat.
1: Yeah, we the wind was cruel, was cranking, and we that evening, just as it started to get dark, so I was off watch, and we were surfing a little bit, we would surf a wave, and then kind of back off the back of it, and then surf again, we were getting up to like 12, 13, 14 knots on the surf, the surfs, and then all of a sudden we got one, and it was just like, usually you surf for like five seconds, and then Jetty just walked in the room where recording. You opened the door. How do you do that? And uh and then you so usually you surf for like maybe five seconds and then you kinda of back off the back of it. But this one we were just gliding, like going and going and going, and it was really smooth, but I could tell we were just flying. And I had to have my hands on the wheel the iPad was inside the iPad we use for navigation, but I had to have my hand hands on the wheels, um uh, sorry. Getting distracted here. My hand on the wheel so that I could keep the boat under control. I couldn't go inside and look at the iPad, but we ended up. I looked directly after, and we did 18 knots was our top speed. I looked at the top speed, you know, an hour before that, and it was only like 13 and a half or something. Um, but then when I checked again, it was 18 knots. So we were surfing at 18 knots, and uh, which yeah. is
0: kind of crazy because our speed record before that, um, was 16.3. That was the fastest we had ever gone before this trip. So almost two knots faster which is crazy yeah and the after we left the ragged islands which is what we're talking about now we had the most um uncomfortable weather for i think three days straight this whole time where we're hitting that record we didn't have a mainsail up. We had a very, very reefed headsail.
1: Right, the whole time, all the way, yeah.
0: And imagine a ve- no mainsail, very reefed headsail, and we're going 18 knots. So you can only imagine how windy it is. Well,
1: at time, and we were going like pretty much dead downwind, maybe, maybe, maybe slightly broad reaching. Um, but it, at one point, we must have been going slightly faster than the wind speed because I remember that the reefed uh, Genoa did like backwind slightly. A little bit so we were just riding the wave um but yeah the wind must have been between 20 and 30 knots that evening and it was for a few for that whole next day i think it was pretty windy
0: and it rained and it lightning and it there were some nasty
1: <laughs> squalls rolling through we were,
0: we don't have eyes and glass on our boat all we have is our um our bimini that we made and When it is raining like that and you don't have eyes and glass, all we're in is like foul weather gear. We were just soaked for three days straight. And I'm pretty proud of ourselves. (laughs) The only thing I would add to our um, foul weather gear is rubber boots because my feet were so wet and soggy the entire time um would you add anything to our how'd our uh Grendan's foul weather gear work for you yeah everything
1: worked pretty good um no i would to add, add anything
0: not even rubber boots i'm definitely getting rubber boots yeah
1: it, w- it would help to have some here i think <laughs> <laughs> i just did bring them but um, um, my feet weren't as cold as yours i don't think
0: yeah so just wet rainy lightning cr- just watching crazy storms roll in um, and during those three days we had a, um, another weather kind of forecast that told us do not enter the Santorine channel before Thursday at sunset. So, so that,
1: basically we still had to slow down a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: exactly. So we had to slow down and then past the Santorine channel, our, our report for the Gulf Stream was anywhere between 8 and 12 feet and we certainly did not want to be out in that. And typically, if we were going nonstop, we would have gone through the Santorine Channel, straight through the Gulf Stream, aim for Lake Worth. But now... And
1: then that would allow us to be in the Gulf Stream for a good amount of time, which would give us a lot of additional speed um, up... North into Lake Worth,
0: but with that report, we did not want to be in those conditions. So... And you definitely
1: don't want to be in the Gulf Stream in those conditions, especially because some some of the wind was out of the north. It was like n- between north and east, um so a, a lot of it coming out of the northeast. Um, it was shifting from north all the way around to east, but yeah, a lot of it was coming out of the northeast.
0: And the system that was actually causing all this is now it's currently still a uh, tropical storm Arthur it was just a low when we were in that area but it's yeah, just as a we low coming
1: up off of Florida
0: a little bit north Arthur was right on top of us um, but with that weather forecast you again I am so proud of you for knowing all this great stuff had the idea to hug the Great Bahama Bank as close as possible so and, let, yeah tell yeah them let me try to
1: explain this a little bit so so we were sailing downwind with just the head sail and the wind was cranking still, and we're starting to turn the corner to be sailing from east to be sailing, like, in the north-westerly... Uh, I'm sorry. We're starting to turn the corner, so instead of sailing straight west, we're start just starting to turn to sail northwest, and then eventually you'd be sailing north. And the wind was coming out of... Uh, yes, north of us, there was north and northeast wind. But where we were, the wind was coming pretty much just out of the east and east-northeast. So it was pretty much dead behind us, and then it started to come over to our beam a little bit. Now, the closest piece of land to windward of us was starting to become uh, Andros, which is a huge piece of low-lying land, a huge island in the Bahamas, uh, real low-lying. But it was still, what, 40 20 to, yeah, like 40 miles away. I think 60. 40 to 60 miles away. And in between us and Andros is the Great Bahama Bank, which is 10 to 25 feet deep, that whole way across.
0: And spotted with coral heads.
1: Yeah, and spotted with coral heads. So it's not something you could transit. You, You can transit part of the Great Bahama Bank at night and... I mean, you probably shouldn't anyway, but there's there's parts of it that are well transited, well marked, and blah, blah, blah. But not where we not were. Not where we were. We, did, we could have transited it during the day with good light and felt okay about it, just going nice and slow, but no way in bad weather and no way at night. So what I decided to do was just hug the bank. So we were staying just off of the bank, still in deep, deep water because it's a huge drop off. It goes from 10 to 20 feet to 2,000 feet right there within like, I don't know, half a mile or something. So we stayed right off the bank, and I figured, and we would just hug the bank. So the bank was to our windward side, and I figured that the bank was shallow enough where big seas couldn't build up on the bank. Now, generally, on a shallow bank, you still get short, choppy, uncomfortable seas, which it could be just as bad or worse than big, spread-apart seas, Um, But anyway, I figured we'd stay just off the bank so that the bank would break up any big seas from forming. And then by the time the short, choppy, shallow seas got to us, we would be in the deeper water. So hopefully the energy of them would kind of drop off and dissipate. And I don't know if it worked. I mean, it was still very uncomfortable. But I think, I mean, we definitely didn't get any huge waves. We definitely got some medium-sized, short, steep, choppy waves smashing into the side of the boat as we turned north, and we were on, on, like, broad and beam reaching.
0: Yeah, it was definitely uncomfortable. It was definitely the most uncomfortable I had ever been. But, like I said, we were messaging with our friends Tim and Candy back and forth, and their goal was to get to the Keys. So, on their, ro- on their route, they technically want to go south of Cay sal Bank, which is an island. Can you kind of describe? It's in between Andros.
1: And Cuba. Cuba
0: and the keys so it's it's like a center triangle between Andrews the keys and Cuba but
1: simply simply they instead of them turning that corner to start heading north they just kept they wanted to just keep going straight west pretty much because and,
0: that was that was their route to get home to
1: the keys yeah uh, and then maybe down the line they would have eventually turned a little more northwest
0: so they were in extremely deep water and they texted us letting us know that they were in like 12 foot seas and extremely uncomfortable and they just wanted to get out they actually had um i'm not sure they, how it happened but their their sliding door that goes into their cabin broke broke and well, they had a wave come in and kind of flood their boat
1: yeah so basically their the the waves underneath their bridge deck were so violent that they smashed one of them smashed up into the bridge deck from underneath and just that uh mo- that um Energy popped their door, their back. I don't know what you call it. It's a lagoon forty-two. I think their boat is right. Or forty-one. Or forty-one, yeah. and that that back sliding door like popped off. Like, it's on rollers, I think, and it just, like, popped off, and, like, the door pretty much came off.
0: And because the door was off, when the waves are breaking kind of on the back of the boat, it just kind of spilled all in through the inside, so yeah. that was not a fun thing for them. But
1: they, they said they saw winds into the 60 60s, knots, yeah, so. so they got a big, nasty squall. I think we saw the squall. Like, I think we kind of went through it, but we I don't think we got 60-knot winds, but they said on their... Um, Uh, and the they saw 60 knots and they were going seven knots so 67 knots or something like that so
0: crazy stuff i'm glad we went the way we did um we yeah we don't have those wind instruments so we can't tell you exactly how windy it was but it was windy and it was rough um and again we said the gulf stream was extremely rough and weather we didn't want to go through so we diverted off to cat key
1: and that uh, that was the other part of why we were just hugging the bank because if we came off the bank too far we would have gotten into the gulf stream
0: and we did not want to be there yeah so we went to cat key um we anchored on the east side of the island kind of protected between a big sandbar and the actual island. And so
1: Katki is just south of Bimini, and yeah, the wind was forecasted to start coming out of the west the next day. So yeah, we made our way just uh, just kind of probably too late in the day than you should have, but we had just enough light to see our way through behind that, uh, I think it's called like South Katki or something, a little strip of land. And then on the east side of that, um, it was all shallow sandbank that was breaking up any easterly chop.
0: Yeah, so we had two nights of amazing sleep there because we hadn't really slept in three days and it was it was dreamy. <laughs> you have to admit that, right? Yeah,
1: it was really nice and, and that, relaxing. Yeah,
0: and that was when Arthur was pretty much right on top of us. We just kind of let it let it move north and um, northeast. And then on Sunday we crossed the Gulf Stream and we had amazing weather. Yes, yeah, it so was calm.
1: It was it was west wind. It was forecasted to be pretty light and then pick up a little bit from the south in the evening. Um, so we just figured we go close hauled into the light west wind as best we could and just. Make our way as far west as we can when we're close hauled or, or close reaching and light wind, it's a little bit better for our boat because you can build up some apparent wind and keep up some speed. And we also had the Gulf Stream pushing us north, so with all those factors, um, yeah, we were making decent time to Lake Worth. And then late afternoon, the wind turned pretty good out of the south, maybe 15 knots, and we were just flying right into Lake Worth Inlet.
0: Yep, and it was it was comfortable. We had, um, again, we went through another school of tuna, we had three on we lost two of them but we got a nice oh no uh we did lose two but we got two nice blackfin tuna in the boat
1: yeah we had three on lost two got one in and then a separate time we got another blackfin so we had two nice nice blackfin tuna
0: yeah which was it was amazing and then um i think we averaged six and a half knots on our whole way seven no
1: seven seven
0: knots We went, which is pretty good for being
1: light in the morning,
0: yeah. Lake Worth Inlet, and we had our family there waiting for us with pizza, cake, and nice, just (sighs) nice to see them. We had, of course, been in quarantine for 14 days, and they are our family so they kind of hung out with us but
1: so that's kind of our tradition when we come back from a long trip and we kind of make our way back to wherever home even if it's not home like sometimes you just do it on the long oh yeah. we'll uh we'll get a pizza delivered yeah. so <laughs> in this case uh i we ordered it and my mom was able to pick it up for us and, and meet us and we all had some pizza and cake and your family came, and it was great.
0: Yeah, and um, we were actually already checked into the country because we came from the USVIs, and when we checked into the USVIs, it was via the Roam app, so when you go from a U.S. territory back to the U.S., you don't have to do anything. And yeah, that's pretty much it, our story of offshore sailing. Anything else to add?
1: Are you disappointed that we didn't get to do it straight? Like.
0: Um... No, no, because you wanted me to feel like nice and like get the hang of like the feeling of being comfortable even when you're not comfortable and like our first five days I was comfortable the whole time because it was so calm and then those three days of just being extremely uncomfortable like no matter what I wasn't going to be happy like either were you and you've done those long passages it's just not comfortable. Yeah. So, I'm I'm happy the way we did it. We got to anchor in the Bahamas, which is always amazing. And, yeah, it took us actually 12 days instead of um, 7 to 9, but we made it back, and we were safe, and our friends are safe. And, what,
1: yeah. What was your take on the – did you see any nasty lightning on top of us? I no, did. No,
0: thank goodness. I saw storms far away using our, like, night vision camera. I could see it, see it and it looked really cool in that, but – Luckily, on my watch, I didn't have those crazy storms like right above me. Um, I had thunderstorms, but not bad lightning, so whew, thank goodness, cause that would have scared me.: well, I
1: had one nasty one, just nasty lightning everywhere, just constantly lighting up the sky. Uh, we hate lightning, man. It's something you just can't control. You can't do anything about. It. It's just all around you. And the thing that I just don't I try not to think about it, and if I do have to think about it, I just think to myself, well. I think I'm pretty sure statistics show that your boat is safer at sea in a lightning storm than it is in an anchorage or at a dock in a lightning storm. the other, the other thing I heard, Andy Shell I think it was August, I think his name is, who just did one of their podcasts, and he was interviewing the lightning expert guy. I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing yet, but one of the things they said in the beginning was that this lightning expert, they're trying to study lightning, and they're literally going out into this spot in the world, I forget where it was, where they're planting lightning rods in this big, huge, flat area, and they still had trouble connecting they're still having trouble attracting lightning to these rods so his point was just like your mast in the ocean is probably not any thing that's going to attract lightning anything more than just lightning striking the ocean itself
0: Ooh, that makes me feel a little better <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, but yeah either way still don't like lightning <laughs> there's
1: a lot of takes of lightning on boats like some people have their boats completely grounded with uh, big thick copper cables or strips all the way from their chain plates and mass down through their seacocks and rudder post and, and engine and everything. Everything is just grounded with big thick copper cable. And they say, you know, if lightning strikes that, it gives the lightning an easier path to travel through your boat into the water without breaking or cracking anything, hopefully. Um, but then the other argument is, well, it also maybe gives lightning an easier path to get down to the water. So maybe it's going to, there's more of a chance that it's going to want to travel that path. And then the, so then the other argument is, well, just don't, don't ground your mast and chain plates and everything to the water. Just keep it, whatever. So anyway, anyway, with our, with our boat, our mast is not, you know, it's not grounded to the water. It, uh, we have synthetic rigging so that there's that's non-conductive um the only thing that's conductive is our mast and our forestay and yeah all that stuff is not grounded and not gonna, not gonna say anything further than that
0: yeah <laughs> um and i think that's all we have for you today about our whole sailing offshore story um do you have anything else
1: no i think that's it
0: i think um we're gonna go make my family some curry with curry uh we brought back from grenada and we're gonna have a nice family dinner and maybe watch a movie and that's all for today folks
1: thanks for listening you guys and we'll see you next time
0: yeah if you haven't already make sure you leave a review and if you are coming from the podcast world go over to our youtube channel tula's endless summer and check out our youtube videos and you can get a real life look about uh at all at what all this stuff looks like see ya bye <laughs>